Um, <clears throat> we continue today looking at the doctrine of salvation. This is part six, no more sermon six, whichever. And it's the doctrine of soteriology. I haven't mentioned that big word. That's the theological word for the doctrine of salvation. Um, it involves many other doctrines which we'll be considering, and they'll be in on stand-alone stand sermons. And the doctrine of repentance, doctrine of conversion, justification, redemption, regeneration, sanctification, adoption, and glorification, almost in that order. And so there's a lot of Bible truth, isn't there? that we can look at and find in the Word. And Lord willing, be going through those. <clears throat> As two weeks ago, we were looking at the whosoever, whosoever's in the book of, well, John's Gospel, John 3.16, and Romans chapter 10. Let's pray before we get into the first point this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the many whosoevers that are in this building today. And Lord, there are many whosoevers out in the community and around in the world that need to be saved. Lord, and I pray that we would fix our eyes on them and we would pray for their salvation, that they'd come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Saviour. And Lord, that we might be instruments in our community to let people know about their need of being saved to escape eternal damnation and bless the word as it goes forth not only here but every place where your faithful servants preach your word and you know lord who they are all, all spread around the world that you'd bless the word of god and the spirit of god would use it to bring people to conviction and to salvation bless the word now for in jesus name we ask amen <clears throat> A couple of weeks ago, I told you how many whosoevers are in the Word. You probably can't remember, but there's about 181 who's the word whosoevers, 181 in total, 84 in the Old Testament, 97 in the New Testament. But how many, that's how many whosoevers in the Word, how many whosoevers in the world? If you answer this, it tells you your doctrinal stance. If you answer it correctly, your doctrinal stance on certain doctrines. How many whosoever's in the world? I heard billions, didn't I? Yes, thank you. 8.1 billion, I looked it up, it's growing very fast. Per day, there's 401,300 people being born. You say, no, that's the fact. There are 158,600 dying each day. And so there's 401,300 whosoever's being born every day. When you think of it like that, you think, oh, a little church here, <laughs> but there are churches all around the world the Lord's got going. How can we reach so many people? It's by faithfully witnessing, testifying one-on-one -on -one to people. And when you break that down, that's 278 being born every minute and 110 people dying every minute. And that's a lot of people, isn't it? How are you going at telling these people? How are we going at witnessing and having those opportunities? Because if they don't hear the gospel and heed the word of the gospel, then they're going out to eternal punishment. 
They need to be saved. <clears throat> I heard a preacher once saying, isn't it amazing how many more whosoever's are in a town where there's a gospel preaching church than where the, a town where there's no gospel preaching church? They seem to be more <laughs> Christians in a town where there's a gospel preaching church. You see, it depends on they that hear the word. For faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we must be preaching the word of God for people to hear the word that they might be saved, convicted and saved. Um, <clears throat> answer this question, how many whosoever's does God want to save? All of them. And how many whosoever's are in the world? 8.1 billion. God wants to save all of them. Listen to what 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's everybody. God wants everybody to be saved. In Ezekiel 33 verse 11, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, said Ezekiel to those then in his day. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? God is interested in every individual, wherever they be, that they all might be saved. So... How many whosoever's has, does, or can Christ's payment for sin cover? If you know the Bible and know certain verses, you'll say all. The whole world. 1 John 2, 2 says, For he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world underline that whole world everybody everybody that's born hebrews 2 9 says but we see jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of god should taste death and there's two words at the end of the verse for every man underline it every man that's not just a selected elected, it's every man. 1 Timothy 2.4, it says there, who, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 reads, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all underline these words it's salvation god wants all to be saved it's not that all will be saved but god wants all to be saved all of us in john's gospel chapter 6 and uh, we'll go back to verse uh, chapter 3 as well but 6 and verse 5 reads and when jesus lifted up his eyes he saw a great company of people come unto him and he said unto philip where shall we buy bread to feed these many? And he, he was interested in all of them, but, you know, he's talking about the bread that we eat physically, but 
He was presenting to them himself as the bread of life to all of them that came there. In chapter 12 of the Gospel of John and verse 32, we read there, And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. <clears throat> all means all. I think this is not... Yes, it is. <laughs> They've turned the vents down. That's what's happened. <laughs> <clears throat> all means all, and that's all, me all means, <laughs> all of them. In Isaiah 53 and verse 6, the great passage concerning the Lord Jesus and his suffering, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. If all are unsaved and all are in iniquity, the Lord wants all to be saved. And this is over and over again in Scripture. If we deny it, we're denying the Scripture, the Word of God. And in 2 Peter 2 and verse 1, listen to the words that are shared here. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them. Who's them? the false prophets who were among the people, evil teachers. What did Christ do for them? He died for them too, denying the Lord that brought them. That, who, is it talk, who is it talking about? So people who don't believe, the Lord died for them too. Who brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, thinking of all the verses we've just read and quoted, do these verses speak about a limited atonement no not at all don't let it go over your head don't let anyone convince you otherwise no 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 i've written down hebrews seven twenty-five. he's able to save them to the uttermost that come unto god by him and over in first peter chapter one and verse two an important few words concerning this subject it says elect you know election who's for election well it's in the bible i'm for election elected according to the foreknowledge of god you see god knows everything is going to happen he knows when people are presented the gospel of jesus christ whether they'll respond or not so of course he can say that one's elected <laughs> Because they chose to believe on me. And uh, <clears throat> underline that. Through sanctification of the Spirit, that's when one believes, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. So, you want to talk about election, predestination, and words of that nature, scriptural doctrines? Look no further than that verse to see how it happens <laughs> elected according to the foreknowledge of god so we have there considering whosoever 8.1 billion and counting 401,300 a day being born into the world and the church has a great responsibility it, it reminds me of the verses back in genesis where it talked about the flood the flood of Noah that was going to come. And men began to multiply upon the face of the earth. 
we're at a stage in the world now where just it's just multiplying. It's not a, it's sort of hardly addition, is it? It's multiple. That's a half a million people a day almost. It won't be long before it gets to that. But the gospel needs to go out, and the Lord has it all planned out for the future. I trust in Him. So, the considering of the whosoever's. Now the challenges facing the church today. There's a terrible doctrine that's going around called reform theology that is influencing many, many good once evangelistic churches. It's sad that it has. I believe it's of the evil one, particularly when there's so many people in the world. Calvinism is a belief system that has its roots in the theology of a fellow called Augustine. He was the Bishop of Hippo in Northern Africa, 395 to 430. He's the one whom a lot of the Catholic doctrines are based upon his teaching and theology, and they venerate him. In the 16th century, somebody else called Calvin systematized the teaching of Augustine on predestination and published them in his institutes, affirming his Augustinian beliefs that God, by his eternal and immutable counsel, determined once for all those whom it was his pleasure one day to admit to salvation. And those, on the other hand, it was his pleasure, this is what he said, his pleasure to doom to destruction. That's not the God I know. He doesn't want anyone to be doomed to destruction. This is an evil, wicked thing. I'm in the minority when I say that because a majority are falling. Men that I've known, preachers and pastors and <laughs> principals of Bible colleges, if you could call that, way back. Way back here, in the one I went through, after I went through it, someone became the principal there that had this doctrine. And it wasn't known until it was, it was ratted out. He, he was found out. And uh, he argued the point. But this doctrine is called TULIP. T-U-L-I-P. It's an acrostic for, for the, the five points of Calvinism. Let me just present them briefly because you need to be aware that this is around and you might be confronted with it one day. And I'm not saying these people are unsaved who have gone this way, but it is a dangerous thing when one goes that way and preaches this stuff. Uh, <clears throat> T, standing for total depravity. U, for unconditional election. L, for limited atonement. I, for irresistible grace. And P, for preservation. Pre Perseverance of the saints. Perseverance of the saints. Now, <clears throat> if you've been to a tulip farm, there's one down in Mombok, where, way down there near the Sylvan Dam, and it's on an undulating chocolate-coloured ground paddock, and it's been there for years, and they have it at a certain time of the year, it's about September, I think, they had the tulips all there, all in, you know, yellow and red and white and all in rows, thousands and thousands of them. When you look at this doctrine, it's no flower. <laughs> it's no flower. Although the name acrostic is used of it, and it doesn't smell like a flower. 
total depravity. Calvinists rightly understand that man is depraved and cannot have any merits of righteousness of his, of his own because all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we had no merit before God with our works to earn salvation. But they error in believing that man is totally incapable of accepting the free offer of salvation. They error in that they think depravity means inability, and it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we don't have a choice. We have a choice. Matthew 23, 37, the Lord Jesus speaking to the people of Israel when they reject, were about to reject him, how often he said, I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers the chickens, and what's that phrase? And ye would not. That involves choice. You would not believe. They could have. The, uh, Jesus offered himself genuinely to them as their Messiah, but they would not. We can do that too. We can hear about the Lord Jesus who paid the price and penalty for our sin on the cross, shed his blood, and we say no, and you would not. Or we can say yes. In the 16th century, Calvin systematized this and brought it forth and has been preached since. Paul wrote, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God for anyone, anyone, whosoever will. Man is capable of making a choice. Depravity doesn't mean inability. So, yeah, total depravity, but it doesn't mean the inability to make a choice. The second one is you. Unconditional election. The Calvinist doctrine of unconditional election teaches that God has chosen specific individuals for salvation whilst condemning others. And they say this. <laughs> this is discrimination, if anything. All are not e created equal on equal terms. That's what they say about people. But some are preordained to eternal life and others to eternal damnation. It's like God has them to be born so that he can put them into hell. Is that the God you know? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> you can read... Romans 10 and verse 11 and to 13 says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. There is no difference between Jew and Greek. There's no discrimination with God. No matter what continent you're from or what race you're from, God does not discriminate against one, anyone. There's no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Refuting that unconditional election. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, in chapter 3, it teaches the same thing, unconditional election. For the manifestation of his glory, some men and angels, they say, are predestinated unto everlasting life and others for ordained to everlasting death. And a lot of churches take that on board in their constitutions. It's wrong. It's biblically wrong. The Bible says God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked in Ezekiel 18.32. 
He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, that we've already quoted, but that all should come to repentance. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, the third, the third point is limited atonement. And really, we dealt with that earlier, but let me mention it. The doctrine of limited atonement teaches that Christ only died for the elect. What did the Bible say? <laughs> he died for all. First John uh, 2 verse 2 tells us this. The Calvinistic doctrine strikes at the a blow at the heart of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone, to everyone that believes. Uh, <clears throat> limited atonement can be destroyed by one verse, like Second Peter 2.1, and many one verses, <laughs> many others. Because in that verse that we looked at earlier, Christ died even for those that haven't believed, that deny the Lord that brought them and bring him damnable heresies. He died for them too. And he died for the sins of believers and unbelievers alike. Jesus is the saviour of the world, the whole world of unsaved people. <clears throat> you know, the greatest sin of a person that will be brought against and charged against those people at the great white throne judgment of Jesus Christ in the final judgment of unsaved people, the greatest sin will be the rejection, the willful rejection of Jesus Christ. They did not choose to believe. They chose not to believe. <clears throat> and as I mentioned earlier, I used the word selected, elected, Selected, elected is what Calvinists believe. There's a selected, elected, and that's it. And God, Christ didn't die for all of them. They weren't covered under the blood. It's wrong. Now, if reform ministers didn't hide the reality of the hideous heresies of Augustine and Calvin, they would gradually empty their churches. But they hide it. The fourth one is irresistible grace. Calvinists believe that God makes his grace irresistible only to his elected people in order that they will be saved. <clears throat> they call their doctrine of this Calvinistic doctrine the doctrine of grace. And I say, what? How could you call it a doctrine of grace when you're damning so many that, have a, that don't have a choice and they can't believe they're not elected they're not the selected elected I don't see it as a doctrine of grace it's making God a bully a mean individual that doesn't care about all people when it clearly states through the scripture that he cares about people does he not one of their writers said, God loves certain ones, sends Jesus to die for them, then sends the Holy Spirit to cause them to accept the sacrifices that Christ made for them. That's one of their own writers, Calvinists. And he goes on, the same writer, He man is never able to choose good God and Christ because he is in slavery to the devil and his own sinful desires. He has no real freedom, they say. Yes, you do have freedom. This is false, what he says. Uh, Calvinism denies that man has a free will 
and that human beings can respond to their God in an unsafe state. We can respond. God does speak to us when we're out of the fold, when we're sheep gone astray, when we're on a far hill in a faraway country. The Lord can speak to us and we can respond. And so contrary to Calvinistic doctrines, sinful man is told to seek the Lord. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Why would God say that and not allow certain ones to be able to do it? It's, it doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, it, it is nonsensical when you look at this. We have a will. We are, as I've said last week or the week before, created in the image of God. Emotions, intellect and will. And God does not override the human will in making a choice. He does not compel us. We're not computers. We're individuals created in his image with the ability to choose. And how could God, at the end of it all, judge people on the choices they make if they haven't got a choice to make a choice? <laughs> it's just not on. How could a God condemn these? So the irresistible grace is never found in the scriptures. Why would we be created thus to be? The last one, perseverance of saints, and we must get into the one point of the positive side of perseverance of the saints. Calvinists believe that the true elect of God will persevere to the end and therefore cannot lose their salvation. I've got a better idea. God will keep us to the end. <laughs> on one hand, they say that God does it all in salvation. Then on the other hand, you have to persevere to be saved. And so it doesn't give the sense of security to one that believes this doctrine. You, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too, if you could put it that way. Let's go to one of the points of the positive side of this, the outward look. And I wanted to sing that chorus, and John Stead got it up for me on, the, on his phone. There's a new look from the old book, a new look from the Bible. And I thought it was in our Sunday school songs, and we're supposed to sing it before the sermon today. Get a new look from the old book. Get a new look from the Bible. There's the outward look, the inward look, and the upward look. Get a new look from the Word. A little chorus for the children. The looks of Scripture. Remember back when we looked at, was that last week, Nebuchadnezzar? It said in verse 34 of chapter 4, And at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto where? Heaven. And mine understanding returned unto me. Folks, it's when we look up, when we see the Lord high and lifted up, that we are saved. We've got to turn our face to heaven as we bow our knee, as Philippians 2 tells us to, to heaven to be saved. This is what I have termed the outward look of salvation. This is essential to go to heaven. We must lift our eyes, as Nebuchadnezzar did, to something outside of ourselves. We have to lift our eyes to heaven, to someone outside of ourselves, the, the Lord God. And in order to be saved, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
It's outside of ourselves. Salvation is not of us at all. You say, well, you're talking about a choice. You make a choice. That's of you. No, we just believe what has been done. We can't do it. It's been done for us. And by grace we are saved. And John 14, 6, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We must look up to God to be saved. In Isaiah 45 in the Old Testament, in chapter 45, verse 22 and 23, we read there in 22, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am the Lord and there is none else. And verse 23, For I have sworn by myself the, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue swear every knee bow and look up to god he is the only way there is none else look unto me he said turn your eyes heavenward if a person does not in their life like nebuchadnezzar look up and lift up their eyes and turn their eyes heavenward they won't be saved because if you look around our politicians are going to save us <laughs> Lord, help us. Never will they save us. Religion will save us. No, no, never. It will not. Uh, my baptism, you know, ring, ring, answer the phone. <laughs> I never forget a few of them. Could you do me children? What do you want done to them? <laughs> <laughs> Baptise them, of course. Well, do they believe? Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know either. And you're not getting them baptised because <laughs> baptism doesn't save a person. You know, we, we have to look up, not around. <laughs> the vertical plane doesn't look too good these days with what man has done to this world and doing to and going to do to this world. Uh, the, the Lord said, unless those days be shortened, all flesh will be done, destroyed, annihilated. There'll be no one left. That's what man's going to do to it all. Praise God he won't let it go that far. <laughs> In Isaiah 55, chapter 55, Isaiah verses 1 and 2, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come, everyone, come to the waters. And he that hath no money, come, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Not by works of righteousness, for by grace we are saved through, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. Come to the Lord, he cries out. And what is his last invitation in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, the last book of the Bible? <laughs> come, come. And the, uh, he that hears say, come, come to whom? As you look up, see the Lord high and lifted up. Buy milk and wine without money, without price, because you can't buy salvation. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Multitudes, thousands, millions of people have spent money to try to buy their way into paradise. Doesn't work. Your labour for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness of the Lord. The fatness of the Lord, not of oneself. Chapter 59 of Isaiah and verses 1 and 2. You see, he was ministering to a people that were saying no, no. They were choosing to say no. And the Assyrian captivity was going to happen 
in 722 where they'd be all taken or 10 tribes would be taken to Assyria because they said no. God gave them the opportunity. God gave them Isaiah to tell them to trust in him. Anyway, in chapter 59, he said, Behold, the Lord, Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy, it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. And he will not hear. He will hear if we say, Help, <laughs> forgive, cleanse, I trust in you. In chapter 61, just over the page in verse 10 of Isaiah, he again says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord God of my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with a garment of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness and as a bridegroom decked himself with ornaments and as a bridegroom adorneth herself with her jewels. So he hath clothed us, clothed us with a garment of salvation, not of our own doing, but of his doing. And then the reference that we read earlier for our Bible reading <clears throat> in Numbers chapter 21 and verses 5 to 9. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of the land of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. What an insult to God. That God was providing their nutrition and they didn't like it. We loathe it. And that's what a lot of religions are doing today. Presenting not the true bread, that's false, and it'll cause you to, to die. And there's <laughs> We present the Lord Jesus, not ourselves. The Bible presents that. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among them. And <laughs> they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord. Well, why didn't you wake up to that before it happened? <laughs> before this, these serpents were sent. And against thee, pray unto the Lord, said Isaiah, and take up, and that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bidden when he looketh upon it look upon it look up lift up your eyes as we had someone bitten at camp by a serpent did they go belton did they, dave wasn't it dave daniel daniel that's right okay daniel did he go belting around a campsite? Hey, I've been bitten by a serpent. No. <laughs> they laid him flat out. <laughs> Stay still. Don't circulate the poison. <laughs> Help! <laughs> I was, there must have been people there because Kev did the snake in. I won't say his full name. <laughs> but he, he, Anyway. Help. I need help. I've been bitten by the serpent. How many of us have been bitten by the old serpent? All of us, we're all sinners. And the serpent has bitten us. And the serpent, Satan, must keep us under his control, whose children we are born in this life. But as you look up, look to the Lord Jesus. And Moses made that serpent. They were told to look up. And we see when we look up the Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins. 
And the last reference I make reference to is there in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth will look and believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then that wonderful verse. You see, that illustration from the Old Testament is brought into the New Testament. And then we have the verse that most people in this world know or learnt if they ever went to Sunday school. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look to the Lord tonight, today, this morning <laughs> that you might have life. Lift up your eyes. See him and him alone. Don't look in. Don't look around. Look up. Let's pray. Thank you Lord for your word. Thank you that it plainly tells us that we need to look to the Lord Jesus, the Saviour of mankind, who paid the penalty for all. And I pray that someone would today would look. Someone would see the Lord high and lifted up and bless his name, humble themselves before him and believe on the Lord Jesus as their Saviour. Draw to yourself that individual or individuals today that they might be part of your church, of your bride and part of heaven forever. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.